You're listening to Fearless Talk, episode 15. In part three of our Fearless Mama series, Evie shares her journey into motherhood. She unpacks the joy of learning she was pregnant, followed by the sudden heartbreak of learning that she had lost her first child at just nine weeks. It was during this time when Evie began to find a new depth to her relationship with God. Through this journey of healing and wholeness, God invited Zach and Evie towards adoption. The adoption process was long and it required a lot from them. It required their patience, finances, and their action, but most of all, it required their trust. As they began to trust God in what truly seemed impossible, they began to find themselves in the glory of His promises, and after 19 long months, they were united with their two children, Bertie and Asa. What seemed like a miracle was simply God's goodness and His plan all along. This Fearless Mama episode is about inviting God into your brokenness and trusting in his invitation to make you healed and whole. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Today we have a super exciting episode, something that a lot of people have really been looking forward to, and that is hearing more about the Birdie and Asa adoption story and how E.B. and Zach um, really grew their family. And so um, I'm so excited to share about this whole process. Being um, someone on the outside but still in their corner, this process was really, really miraculous for me to witness. And it has been every single day since a miracle to witness. And so I'm so excited to um, be able to share this story with Evie and have her her share it for you guys. So we're just going to kind of kick off. Um, And here is the story of Birdie and Asa and how they came into Zach and Evie's life. (laughs) Evie, go ahead and give us like a little bit of a background. Um, just on you and Zach in the first, you know, on how you guys decided to pursue adoption and what that meant for you guys. Hello, everybody. Um, You know, our process into adoption was pretty crazy. I, as a child, had always wanted to adopt my entire life. I would draw photos of my family and it would have purple kids, green kids, orange kids, every single color. And I always dreamt of having a huge family. And so long story short, um, I had, you know, Zach and I worked for an organization called Wipe Every Tear. And so we were very heavily involved in um, obviously um, helping restore um, girls that had been trafficked in the sex trade and um, learning more about um, just that entire industry. There's just so much education in the sense of finding out that traffickers often traffic orphans. Um, And usually you age out of the system between 12 and 14. And often traffickers will circle around orphanages and prey on obviously the ones that don't have anyone. And so that had been a whole journey. And when Zach and I got married in um, 2014, we were had been working both for Wipe Every Tear and we were like, you know what, we just want, like so many people, but we were like, we want to just be married for five years. Um, when, we're, when I'm 27 and when Zach's 28 or 29, we'll talk about, you know, having a family. But I just really, really wanted five years of just us, especially within ministry. We were traveling all over the world. And so long story short, um, we got pregnant, let's see, uh, six months after we had been married. And it was like, what? Like, we were like, oh my gosh. I remember, um, like seeing the, the positive sign, like after peeing on the stick and I was like, oh my gosh. And it was like, just totally crazy. And, um, we were just shocked. Were you scared? I was, um, I think that the first thought that went through my head was like, we have $15 in our bank account. (laughs) Like, like how is this going to, and then the next thought was instant excitement. Mm -hmm. And, um, long story short, 
that happened six months after, um, we got married and, um, about we, so Zach's uncle had passed away and we were traveling, going to Hawaii to do his celebration of life. Cause that's where he had lived. And, um, I started bleeding a few days before we left. And so long story short, obviously when you're pregnant for the first time and blood comes, you're just panic every time. And so, um, I went to the doctor and it was a really long process, but they said, you're totally fine. You know, you're going to be great. It's just a blood clot. Just go to Hawaii and just enjoy yourself. And throughout our whole trip, it was like a 10 day trip. I just kept bleeding every, and then one day finally bled so much. I almost passed out and you know, you're out of network. So insurance, you know, I was like, no, I don't need to go to the doctor. I'm fine. And Zach's like, babe, we are going to the doctor. So, um, and even when we were in Boise, they did an ultrasound on me. They uh, went to the links to show me this ultrasound saying, here's the baby. It's in your uterus. Everything is fine. Even though later we found out that, um, a baby was never in my uterus and, um, they had used a very old ultrasound machine and it was with a doctor that had never, she'd never had any patients yet. And so it was just very inexperienced. And so she had put this false ease in my mind, but, um, there was still this obvious concern. So go to Hawaii. Um, I'm trying so hard. You know, we're with all of Zach's family and Hawaii is my favorite place in the world. It always has been. Um, and so it was like so hard to try and find joy in such a, you know, in a place that you're no that's known for joy and known for excitement and surrounded around family. And yet obviously you're bleeding nonstop and there's just so much. So we finally go to the doctor and, um, ironically, actually it's Zach was born in Hawaii just down the street from this hospital. So it was kind of, you know, and I honestly went into it, um, just repeating over and over, no, this baby's going to live, this baby's going to live, this baby's going to live. And, um, so we go into the doctor and it was a series of probably five hours of testing and all this stuff. And they would come in and they're saying, oh, you have twins, you're pregnant with twins, but you're losing one. And they come in and say, wait, hold on. You're just pregnant with one and you're miscarrying. Wait, hold on. And then they finally did uh, ultrasound on my fallopian tubes. And they said, oh, oh, you know, your fallopian tube just ruptured, exploded. It was an ectopic pregnancy. The baby implanted in your fallopian tube. You have extreme internal bleeding. We have to do emergency surgery or you could die. And I'm like, and they were like, have you eaten? And I literally had like two pretzels and they were like, no, you shouldn't have had the pretzels. You're the anesthesia. And they were like totally stressed out. And you know how sometimes hospitals just, mm. you're like, okay, you want me to stay calm and yet you are so not calm. Like, (laughs) and so I just remember, um, I remember that whole process just like, like as if I wasn't even living it It as as if I was like from a different perspective watching it happen. Like I didn't feel like it was happening to me. And I'm like, and you know, instantly when life is inside of you, you fall in love with it. And and so it's this, you create this life with this thing that's growing inside of you. And then all of a sudden, you're like, wait, now it's gone. And so long story short, you know, we had to do emergency surgery. And I remember perfectly looking at the surgeon before she, um, you know, she's explained everything that's going to happen and before anesthesia. And I remember looking at her and I was like, I don't care if I die. If you, if there's some sort of miraculous way of you, you know, saving my baby, I do not care if I die. And I remember her so condescendingly looking at me and she said, oh, honey, you're so brave. And I remember feeling so like belittled (laughs) belittled and so like, 
as if she thought I was trying to say it to sound brave, <laughs> as if she did, thought I didn't mean it. Like, I remember feeling so hurt by her response and genuinely in my heart, literally thinking this is going to be the first time in all of history that a fallopian tube, some, that they somehow move it to the uterus or something like, or it, they're going to go in there, they're going to realize it's not in the fallopian tube and they were wrong after all this testing or, you know, and so um, I, I was really, really hoping for that. So obviously I wake up and that wasn't the case. And, um, you know, they had to remove my fallopian tube and it was just a whole process. And, and, um, and then we had to extend our trip because I couldn't fly. And it was just really, really, um, hard, honestly, really, really hard. And so after that, it's, it's funny because in the whole process of losing a child, um, people will come to you and say, I'm sorry for the loss. And I remember, being so sensitive and t- almost territorial of my pain, as weird as that sounds, that I would say, okay, it wasn't a loss. It was literally removed from me. Don't tell me, like, don't be sorry for my loss. Be sorry for the robbery that happened is like how I wanted to word it. And um, and when you get kind of territorial over pain, th- that's usually when bitterness and, you know, <laughs> you're going to start operating out of that. And then you create this full story of how you're a victim and uh, and nothing grows from that place. But did you feel yourself like entertain that idea because it was just more, it felt safer to walk through as a victim or were you fearful to go into like processing the whole situation being like, I don't know, so vulnerable mm-hmm. instead of being like a victim and territorial? Mm-hmm. Like how can you yeah. kind of explain that? I think for me, I was, I'm, I've never, you know, I've had a lot of really, really hard things happen to me and Every single time, I'm not afraid of the pain, what it's going to take to overcome it. But what I'm ultra always been really sensitive to is making sure people understand the truth of what I'm going through. So then I'm like, this is the truth and it's going to be hard and I'm going to get through it. But I just want people to understand this is what it actually looks like. To acknowledge it. Yeah. And so when people are like, I'm sorry for the loss, I'm like, okay, you can be sorry, but don't be sorry for the loss. Be sorry yeah. for the robbery. Because you're and misunderstanding then I can, it. Exactly. And like, and even in like the Fearless Girl book, I write like my biggest fear in life is to be misunderstood because I so badly want want people a to understand my heart and b to understand like where I'm coming from or to you know like to understand yeah. my pain and if you can understand someone's pain usually you can understand their heart and so um that whole process was like <clears throat> you know it was it was hard because um there was about a six week period of you know and I went through it I think in a really healthy way and I really clung to the people around me but I just as weird as it sounded I was I was really graced for it. Like it, it stung and it hurt. And I, that was a season. And I've said this before and throughout the entire adoption process. And I just told this to Angel the other day, but it's so crazy, you know, when we read like, oh, God's close to the brokenhearted. And it's, that sounds like this, like in the past, it'd be like, oh, my broken heart, like somebody broke up with me or, oh, my broken heart. Um, you know, we're in a financial strain and I just feel really limited and, and a slave to not having resources. That's what I had up until then kind of measured a broken heart. But when we actually read that for what it is and what David's crying in the middle of that, every single person that he knows and love is trying to kill him and assassinate him. You know, he has nobody. He just lost his best friend, which was his brother. Like there's so much to it. And what I'm learning now is in every other emotion in the world, nothing makes us feel closer to Jesus than when we're fully broken because he's, we're fully experiencing his embrace and we're fully like, we have nowhere to go, but, but his arms. And so it's so crazy how in those painful, painful experiences, it is so wild to me how you literally can, you're so close that God doesn't have to scream. He can literally whisper and you know, 
<laughs> like that he's trustworthy and you know and then it's in that moments where you really do understand the, like, the, like the loyalty and the kindness of Jesus because you're like it's the only thing that's allowing me to keep breathing and so um that was a whole journey of and it was really like a flip switch for me of really understanding the mercy and the kindness of God and how he like so many people in that story so many people have this story so unfortunately so many people miscarry so many people have ectopic pregnancies so many people give birth to stillborns and all these things and <clears throat> it's so crazy how when we really do invite Jesus into our pain, how he really, really will show us his heart of like tenderness and compassion and how it's only in that place that he can rebuild us to actually make something beautiful out of those ashes. And so, um, so all that to say with adoption, Zach and I had this kind of five-year plan. And I, I say that loosely because we were open to it moving, but in our hearts, we were like five years, it would be a blast. Five years of just traveling and we'll do missions and it'll be so amazing. And then we'll just talk about a family. We both know we want a big family. But after that, um, quote unquote robbery, all of a sudden Zach and I were like, wait, why do we have to wait so long to have kids? Why do we have to wait to, um, bring, invite, invite kids into this process of missions? And all of a sudden, um, I'm like, you know what? I think we already to have kids. Let's just start this conversation. And so, um, out of that, we knew that we wanted to adopt. And with an ectopic pregnancy, you're still able to get pregnant. You still have a working body. And I didn't understand at that time that even getting pregnant later would be an issue. But all of a sudden we thought, let's, let's pursue adoption. And so it's a long, long, long story. But one time in the Philippines, when Zach and I were serving, we were doing some, um, preventative work actually in a city that Angel's been to, and it's called Novotis. And, um, long story short, this, um, mother who had been in our care and she, um, was 12. She was trafficked, um, on a fish port and she was 12 and gave birth to a baby. And I mean, a baby giving birth to a baby. And as you can imagine, those stories are heartbreaking. And while we were there trying to do, um, some work with wipe every tear, they were trying to give, we, her baby was really, really sick with pneumonia. I think she was six weeks old. She had no, um, money obviously to get, treatment for the baby. So we helped her go to a clinic. And while we were there, this doctor was trying to convince this young girl to give us her baby. And we didn't know what she was saying. She was speaking in Tagalog. And all of a sudden we asked our driver to come inside and to tell us what was going on. Cause we could tell there were emotions kind of, you know, getting stirred and we we're like, what's going on here. And so then our driver said, Oh, the, the doctor's trying to convince uh, this young girl to give you her baby. And Zach and I broke, it, we just broke our heart because of the circumstances that she, you know, endured and, and that she, and because she was born into poverty and because of these things that she could not control, this doctor was trying to convince her that we would be a better parent. And it broke our heart. And it really, it opened our heart open to so many families and mothers that don't feel empowered to be able to be the rightful parent that they get to be all because of the circumstances they're born into. And we looked at her, we said, no, you are, you are totally able to be a mother. You are able, um, you know, and so since then it's been a process of, you know, like helping people get educated and help people break the cycle of poverty. So the parents can be, um, the parent that they do crave to be, but all of a sudden we were like, wow, corrupt adoption mm -hmm. is very, very real. And that is not something you want to do, but it also opened our heart to so, I mean, being in missions, so many orphans, true orphans in the sense of parents have died of disease and parent, you know, and they literally have no one to claim them. And so Zach and I, never considered adoption plan B. It had always been like God's plan for our family and our plan in our sense, like plan G, I guess you could call it as tacky as that sounds. Cause we were like, you know what, why do, why do 
let's do this first. Let's adopt a baby and then got, and then we'll get pregnant a few years later and then we'll probably adopt more and then we'll just slowly grow to having a, a bus, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, we never planned on adopting two. Um, but essentially that whole adoption process, um, we had, you know, and that's a whole conversation of finding agencies that are ethical. We started in Uganda the first three and a half months. We had never told anyone we sold our couch to make our first payment. Um, and, we didn't tell, we told our inner circle after months of praying about it, but we were like, okay, we're moving forward with Uganda. And after interviewing multiple agencies and essentially, um, after feeling kind of nervous about this agency and noticing conversations going in a direction that we didn't feel comfortable with, we're like, yeah, this isn't right. There's something here that's not, not right. And so we pulled out and I remember being so disappointed and I'm like, gosh, dang it. <laughs> like, you know, you feel like you have progress and then all of a sudden things are yanked from you and you also fall in love with a nation. Again, a story. You fall in love with a story of a child. You fall in love with a story of a child in Uganda, um, whatever. And so um, we started back at square one. Can I ask how you guys picked like Uganda in the first yeah. place? Yeah, that's a great question. So we knew we wanted to adopt. Being in international missions, um, I felt very, we both felt very called to adopting internationally first. And um because we're so young, I was 23, Zach was 24. Um, we had barely any money, (laughs) like all of it. Um, we didn't qualify for a lot of nations, like a lot of places you have to be 30, you have to have a certain income requirement. And so we knew we wanted our first adoption international. So we essentially just started narrowing it down from there, found Uganda. It was great. Then pulled out and we realized, wow, okay, we're not going to adopt from Uganda. So then essentially we then found Liberia um, and we interviewed all these different agencies, finally found our agency and it was so amazing. So like right when it all happened, we were like this, this woman leading the program is full of integrity. She does it for the right reason. She like, it was just amazing. And so um, I remember um, we had, you know, talked with the agency and we had interviewed with them and we had asked them questions and they had asked us questions. And essentially we had to um, give them a, decision if we were going to move forward with them. And I was going to speak at an event for Wipe Every Tear. And on the way there, I was listening to a podcast and this, um, this man, this pastor was saying like the entire Christian walk should be always having the impossible right in front of you. If you do not have an impossible mountain in front of you, then like essentially what are you doing? Because us as, you know, Christians get to look at the mountain and say move. And so at the time, Liberia, um, you know, they just lifted a moratorium. They hadn't had adoptions in uh, years. They had just survived the Ebola epidemic. They had just come out of a civil war, you know, less wow. than a decade away. Um, it's the fourth poorest place on the planet. I mean, it was just, you know, essentially impossible. Yeah. And a lot of people were like, I wouldn't move forward with that. All the other agent or all the other adoptions have been eight plus years. You're going to get into a process that's going to be five to 10 years. Like this just isn't smart. And so when I heard that pastor say that, I called Zach and I'm like, babe, God said to go with the most impossible country that we can find in Liberia sounds like it. And he's like, okay, let's do it. And so we called our, wait, was there, was there like any doubt or fear in any of that? (laughs) Cause that's, so much of what you're saying, you say it so casually and just like, oh, I understand it. But <laughs> like, that's what it would take some people weeks to process, years to process. There are people who are paralyzed by that thought of mm-hmm. do the impossible in front of you. Yeah. Like some people won't even move. And that was something like you, you did that so like effortless. It was just a next step. Yeah. So was there any fear in that or was it just like this complete confidence in God? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, there's definitely fear in the sense of, um, 
fears are in the back of your mind trying to like paralyze you or um, start with the what if, what if, what if, what if. And in fact, I think I wrote a podcast or a, a blog years ago about this, but like uh, I remember one time the Lord um, maybe even in the adoption process, actually, this blog, but it was like, I kept saying, but what if, what if God, what if, and I remember God coming back to me in a place and saying, but what is, I am true. What is, I set the lonely families. What is, I <laughs> defeated death. What is, and it was all of a sudden, instead of having the perspective of what if could happen and then being paralyzed by the fear of that, he started saying, well, what if you just started saying what is and then started to claim who I am mm-hmm. and actually believe what I say. Wow. And so that was a process of, and you know, often, and I've said this a million times, but I, I think I look at my relationship and the different things that I've been able to step into, um, a lot of people look at it and call it naive. And I think what earth recognizes as naive, heaven recognizes as faith. And so it's this, um, y- when you hear something from the Lord, if you really are filtering and you are living your whole life into the spirit of God and you're breathing them in and you're knowing his voice and you're in the word and you're able to c- surround yourself with counsel that is doing the same and can speak into that place when he speaks things like, um, and, you know, sometimes people think, oh, he, he, did he audibly speak? No, but he spoke through this pastor and all of a sudden I felt this burning in my heart and I knew, okay, <laughs> I can't create that. There's nothing in me that is uh, psychologically brave enough to say, let's do the most impossible country. <laughs> but all of a sudden this burning inside of my chest, I'm like, okay, that's the spirit of God. And that's where you, when you're living in that truth, all of a sudden obedience feels like the only option because you're like, I just, he would never lead me into this place just to abandon me and just to fill me with fear. So um, that whole process, the hard part with adoption is there's nothing you could do to speed it up and there's nothing you can do to slow it. I mean, there is, I guess, stuff you can do to slow it down, but it is defined by waiting. And I remember even the Kristen DeMarco song came out, like, he's in the waiting. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Like, this is my song for the rest of my life. And it's like... Wow, for someone who literally hates waiting yeah oh okay that's <laughs> you're just a I'm very like active oh i just want to go get her right so yeah yeah so with adoption it was like and even our waiting in comparison to so many other people's stories was not even considered waiting it was so fast so um with adoption it's just cool that that theme is threaded so intentionally still through everything though yeah like even if it wasn't in comparison to someone else's story you don't need to compare to someone else's story right but just acknowledging the fact that like god asked you to wait he he characterized the whole thing by waiting and trusting him that's really cool yeah yeah waiting uh waiting freaking sucks but there's so much fruit that you know obviously grows in the garden of waiting so um so you just have to make sure in the waiting that you're actually watering yourself with things that will help it grow rather than just sitting there and just expecting things to unfold. But, um, so, so yeah, the waiting season, um, you know, with adoption, again, we had no money, you guys, <laughs> we had no money and we were like, how is this going to happen? How is this like, what is this going to look like? We'll just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And we would do t-shirt fundraisers and people would do it. And then people that we barely knew would send a check for the amount that was due at the deposit and all these crazy miracles. And it was like, well, how is this happening? And I remember, you know, eventually we got matched with two children and it was a total miracle because we, I didn't really have the faith for two. It was really just the faith for one. And, and they showed us mm-hmm. these pictures of, you know, uh, Birdie and Asa and you, again, it's like, 
you fall in love with the story of this like child. <laughs> yes and and so um Zach said you know no matter what photo they hand us EB knowing your heart you're gonna say yes that's just your personality <laughs> they'll show us 16 kids and you'll say okay let's do the paperwork and so EB we need to do essentially 21 days of just fasting and praying into this and just making sure that this really is like these are the children that God is putting into our family and um I was like, oh, great. So we've been waiting this whole time. And now Zach's making me wait again on the Lord. Like, I, And it was just this like, can we just say yes, Zach? And he's like, no, I want to press into this. I don't want to just say yes out of emotion. So there's 21 days of that. Ironically, actually, we got matched with them on my birthday. On, and so the last day was on 21st of December when they sent us out a final photo. And um, so on December 21st, we send her, you know, we contact our agent who's just incredible. And we're like, we're going to do it. And on that same day that we told her, we're going to press into this, we're going to do it. I, um, had sent an application for a grant and, and I was like basically sharing our story, blah, blah, blah. On December 27th, literally six days later, I was in my house, in my old house making lunch. Um, and actually another girl from our office came with me and I was just sitting there making lunch and I got a call and I was like, Phoenix, Arizona. And I answer it. And this guy said, you know, our entire a board was so inspired by your story. We're going to fund the entire second adoption. And I remember literally falling to my knees, literally fell to my knees. And I could just feel like the holiness of God wanting to just surprise us and just wanting to like really set the loan. Like he takes the business of setting the lonely families very seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, what? And then a week later, another grant came in. And then a week later, more like literally there was about a six week period of grants just coming in. And we were like, what? Like, and all of a sudden you realize he really cares <laughs> about this. There is not one thing that has ever gone through our hearts or experience that he's not like, oh, that's not a big concern of mine. Like he really takes it all seriously. And so, um, so you know, and then in that process, that was when we found out Asa was very sick and they didn't know what was wrong. And, and then there's more waiting because you literally can't do anything in that process of you just have to wait. And so um, for us, adoption adoption is something that our family um, takes very seriously. It's something that we're not done with. It's something that we believe in. And it's also been really neat. I mean, I have had dozens, more than, I mean, probably 50 families reach out to me on Instagram and say, just because of your story, we've decided to adopt. And it's like, the reason people are moved into actually taking the action of adopting is because they look at our stories and they see how serious God takes it and they see how God will provide for it. And it doesn't mean that it's not stressful and it doesn't mean that there's not times that you're like, what are we doing? And, you know, but it has been so amazing how God has really used our story to make it from, take it from a fantasy to a reality, because that's what often what adoption is. It's this fantasy that people say, Oh, I want to do it. I'm like, then why aren't you doing it? And they're like, Oh, well, you know, it's just not the right season. I'm like, okay, well, that's a valid answer, but like press into it. So when God does really put it on your heart that you'll be brave enough to step into it. And can I just say too, when that company or that organization reached out to you, they said like, we're going to need a record of your finances and if you could get it to us, yes. like at some point That's soon, right. like the soonest, the sooner the better, if you can get that to us, that would be great. Yeah. And the Lord had told you to keep at the very beginning from the very first day yes. to keep everything detailed. And yes. you had every Excel single spreadsheet, every single transaction in That's an Excel right. spreadsheet. And so I think earlier when you said, when you are waiting on the Lord, you're not just sitting there hoping that he's going to show up and do a miracle. You're 
being proactive and responsible with what he's giving you. And if that looks like adding a gas receipt totally. to a, an Excel sheet, yes. then that's what it is. Yes. And so I think like even in just now, like saying like this fantasy in the season of, you know, not being the right season, like still be so such a good steward of of what he's asking mm-hmm. you, uh, what he's just inviting you to dream mm-hmm. with him in. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's so yeah. crucial. And it's just, it's not crucial to the outcome. It's crucial to the relationship with you and yeah, God, right. what he's going to trust you with. So, you know, thinking, not thinking about like, will this fantasy of me having a family be fulfilled? That's not what it is. Yes. Yeah. Will this relationship, will I be fully dependent on you, God, every step of the way? So I just, I think that's one of the biggest things I think about when I tell your story. I'm always like, and he said, keep a spreadsheet. <laughs> and she did. I totally forgot about that. I'm glad I think you that's the that. craziest part. I'm like, wow, yeah. practicality. Like, yes, it's crazy. And you're so practical too. So, and that's, that. it's so true. In every process, whether it's journey into motherhood or planning a wedding, or there are so many different secrets that God wants to speak to you of how to like care for that season and nurture it and um, be a good steward of it. And there's like Angel is so practical. So it's things like that, that she remembers because that those little tiny moments build these seeds. So then when these huge trees come, it's like that came because of the little seeds. Can you imagine if they did ask for their seeds? And I'm like, oh crap. Mm-hmm. Ah, you know, like you might not have gotten exactly. The grant. Yes. Yeah. Like that is so good. Oh, I'm glad you remember those things. Yeah. So, um, so the, the process of adoption, you know, uh, a lot of people are like, where do I start this, this, you like a lot of people say, Oh, I'm single and it's my huge prayer, but I want to do it. And sometimes there's a, often there's a grace for single women to adopt. I think it's amazing. And sometimes they feel like they have to wait until they're married. Maybe sometimes they're 17 years old and they're like, it's in my heart. I always tell people, regardless if adoption is in your heart, you don't have to wait to care for the orphans until you can personally adopt. There are families out there adopting that you can genuinely come alongside financially that need to. There are families that genuinely need intercessors to pray for their adoption process. Like for us, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. like we had people praying and people would take it so seriously as if it was their own family growing. And I can't tell you the way that that shielded and covered us seriously, because sometimes in the process, you are so busy in your mind and rattled that you don't have time to, or don't have the brain capacity to sit down and intercede for these kids. Like there are roles that you can take in like caring for orphans and caring for that, you know, that genuinely will set you up. And again, even this whole fearless mama podcast, you don't have to be a mom to be a fearless mama in the making, if that makes sense. Like there are, again, practical steps that you can take, things that you can pray, books you can read, part, part, you know, organizations you can partner with that will really develop your heart to really, you know, so then when, you know, Lord willing, the adoption door does open, you're like, wow, this has been a 10 year journey. This has been an X amount of your journey. And this isn't my first time pouring in to uh, the needy and the the ones that, you know, need homes, but this is also my next step into being able to care for them and my next action step, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, that part is often the most unsexy part of, oh, okay, I'm going to, you know, sponsor a child or, oh, I'm going to help a mom um, be able to go to school. So then she doesn't have to, you know, um, feel like she can't be the mother that she's able to be or, but guess what? That is just as important. Poor, it's just so special to be able to play a part in someone else's story of yeah. um, just their life and their growth and, you know. The miracle. The miracle, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So cool. Okay, so you got matched with Birdie and Asa. Mm-hmm. You and Zach, or you got like everything was covered financially. You guys 
tell everyone we're moving to Liberia. We did. <laughs> so Asa was so sick. We didn't have to, but we chose to. We had no idea when we were going to come back. Um, as far as we were concerned, we were hoping for three to four months, but um, other, you know, adoption processes have been in the, had been in the process for eight plus years. So we were like, oh my gosh, we don't know what this looks like. So my first two weeks into motherhood, I got malaria and typhoid and um, somebody that we hope to have on the podcast very soon helped me, (laughs) essentially saved my life. And um, it was crazy. Our season in Liberia was crazy. Um, And looking back on it, I think that I had sometimes such a negative (laughs) heart of being so uncomfortable in my new season of or my new role as a mom that... um, also, Angel was engaged, and I felt like I just was so excited for that, and I felt like I, I was like, I just want to be home for it, and I was just like so sad, and there were so many parts where I felt alone in it. I had never been a mom. I didn't even know like what I would need. I didn't know what would be available in Liberia. Our house looked like an Amazon Prime factory with all the things. I was in the Philippines for work for six weeks before, came home for five days, packed our bags, had a baby shower, and then moved to Liberia, and I was just like... It was so much and there was, there was so much hype around it and excitement and all this. And then when we got there, we were like, oh my gosh, we don't have power or running water. Uh, And like, you know, I got sick and all of a sudden like there, malaria is common. It's a total normal thing. But I was like, I think I'm dying. I wrote my will on a voice memo. Um, And not only that, but I had this human to take care of because at the beginning we only had Asa. Uh, and I'm literally in my will started giving my white credenza away to my best friend Allie. And Zach, when I was done, he's like, wait, if you die, I don't even get to keep the white credenza. <laughs> and I'm like, she just really likes it, baby. <laughs> and he's like, dude, you can't give away all our furniture. But I literally was like, I just want to tell my family I love them. And and it's funny. I feel like people are like, I live in the 1%. Like, but I literally had taken malaria medicine. I literally took the typhoid pill. Like I did everything and the the odds of getting it, it was just like, how does this happen? And I'm like, well, my name's Evie Hepworth. If the odds of it happening are available, then it will happen to me. <laughs> and so um, there was this moment when um, we had Birdie and Asa, we had Asa full time, but Birdie would spend the days with us um, in the tra- this transition period. And um, I remember Zach l- physically carrying all three of us, which I don't even know how he did it, but he was carrying Birdie and Asa in both his arms and then put me over his shoulder and, and essentially like walked us into this clinic um, or not into this clinic, into the car to go to the clinic. And I remember for the first time actually feeling the need to actually uh, feed off of the strength of my husband up until that point. I don't know if I ever had fully tapped into his strength. I had always just, you know, kind of had enough of my own and just, okay, this is good. But there was this uh, vulnerability of actually having to lean on Zach that um, was crazy. And I think that I told this to somebody recently, they sh- there needs to be an entire podcast on the relationship of a marriage in the adoption process because it you have a huge target on your back and there's so much frustration and so much, ugh, and you're just angry and irritable. And then on top of that, you didn't have water and in the middle of the night, there needs to be a bottle. So you have to go clean the water and then you go to the well. And then, like, there's just so many things and that has a toll on your marriage. And so our time in Liberia was hard. I mean, we would get in arguments and I'm like, can we are arguing over oatmeal. Like, this isn't normal, you know, and there's so many hard moments. But I remember Zach carrying all three of us and me being like, I need this man. I need him. I need him to be the father of my children. I need him to be my husband. I need him to be my friend. I need him. Mm-hmm. And it was 
so hard. And then obviously, you know, got over the malaria, got over typhoid, everything was good. And the rest of our process, it was just like, you know, in that culture, you can't force anything. And so it was really this season of God really wanting us to rest and really wanting us to um, really use that time of disconnection from the world, so to say, to really create a strong connection as a family. And the first few weeks, Bertie, um, you know, like actually bonding with Bertie, I thought, I'm like, there's no way this girl's ever going to love me. There's just no way. She didn't trust us. She was terrified of us. Um, you know, she there was so many things. Asa, you know, was so, so sick that he the second we put him in Zach's arms, I remember watching him. And if you haven't ever watched our uh, adoption story when first meeting our kids, you should. We'll Angel. Share it. Angel. I watched it last week and was crying <laughs> at my desk. <laughs> and it's, um, but I remember him just clinging to Zach. And it was like, oh my gosh, like this little boy was made to be a part of our family. And then Birdie, it was like, oh my gosh, the only thing that she would let us do would take her on walks. And it was rainy season in Monrovia is the the rainiest capital in the entire world, like extreme flooding, all kinds of stuff. So needless to say, it would pour. There's no thing as rain, it's pouring. And we would be out there in rain jackets in front of the ocean, just walking the same half mile stretch back and forth because that's the only place she felt safe. And really, that's such a good picture of adoption, of just being like, no part of it feels safe. No part of it is comfortable. You can't control whether it rains or not, but you can control if you're just going to have joy in the process and just kind of choose to, yeah, choose to move forward. And so we created a very uh, strict schedule, eating schedule for Birdie. So she knew that she would get fed. She knew that she would nap. She knew that she was going to be loved on whether she punched me. She knew. And so it was this pursuit, this constant pursuit and creating a safe place of knowing that she, we were trustworthy. And then I remember the day she's wearing a watermelon dress, the day that she decided to love us back, she called me Ma and Zach Papa. And I was like, all of a sudden, all of a sudden she wanted to hold her hand. All of a sudden she asked us to build a sandcastle. All, like it was this huge moment of her all of a sudden in a second loving us back. And then from the, that day on, she, that girl has been, we're just tied at the hip. Like she, I swear I birthed this chick. Like yeah, she <laughs> is such a sass ball. And um, I don't know how she's not like from you. I know it's crazy. It's crazy. So, um, all that to say, um, yeah, our adoption journey has been wild. It is uh, far from over, you know, that it's not a process of changing names and then getting, um, you know, a social security card and the, the story being done. The journey is always like the story is always being written and, um, yeah, we're always building a closer connection and we're always being able to grow closer as a family and um, we will adopt uh, again and it'll be beautiful and it'll be very, very different. And I hope that as people listen to this, they realize that adoption doesn't have to be a fantasy, but it, it, it's it's the reality of heaven. So why can't it be the reality of earth? And why can't we, you know, step into it with the mind of knowing it can be ethical, it can be honest, it can be full of integrity, it can be beautiful. Uh, and, you know, adoption, in a res- it's in a response to brokenness because a lot of these kids don't have families. We we are stepping forward to be able to be a family for them. And so understanding that that is an ugly situation, but because Christ is in us, we get to make it beautiful and we get to watch it be redeemed. And um, yeah, again, it doesn't have to be a fantasy. It can be a reality. That's so good. Um, I just have a question kind of for people who, who might be listening. I know one of the biggest things that is overwhelming to me like I said, is the practical aspect. Like, okay, well, I can dream about it and I can think about it and I can 
cling to the fact that like it's a re- reality in heaven can it be a reality here but like we were talking about earlier being so practical how do you think like and I, I don't know if you'll have the answer for this or if it's really profound or anything but how do you kind of encourage people to just go into the process the practicality of it doing all the paperwork all the grants all the yeah. long nights knowing that there's going to be setbacks that will not just like push you back a little bit in the process but how do you encourage people in that honestly yeah. um, practically I say one foot in front of the other for me I'm really bad at that I am such a um, and that's why often I will talk myself out of a lot of things that need to get done because I see how much work has to get done and I'm like that's for example that's my relationship with the gym I see what I should be doing, but I'm like, I don't even want to get started. So then I convince myself not to even go. And I think that's our journey with a lot of different dreams of our lives, a lot of listeners. And so I always say, just start with one thing. Mm -hmm. Just start with one thing. And whether that be even following a family on social media that's in the process or whatever, start there. And then if your heart is still burning for it, then, you know, start praying into international or domestic or foster care. Pray into that. And then the next step, decide which route you're going to go into. And it's like this, you start on this macro level and then you just start to journey into the micro level. And then all of a sudden you find your lane. And you know, it's, it's funny because it's often in a lot of different things. If you were to look after the story is over and all the work that has to get done, you're like, how on earth did I do that? Honestly, like now the adoption process is more intimidating after going through it than before. So go into it with a heart of rest. Go into understanding that you can be diligent with your time. You can keep track of your expenses. You can make a list of what there to, what there is to do, but just put one foot in front of the other and then watch how all of a sudden the excitement and the hope is going to build and it's going to be less of a burden and it's going to be moving forward with hope and excitement joy. and joy and it's like, "Okay, here we go." You know, if you guys haven't had a chance to see um, the videos from their time in Liberia and when they first adopted um, and got to meet and got to take home Birdie and Asa, we'll put it on the blog so you can go to fearlessco.org and go to um, content and it will be there. So um, thank you guys so much for listening um, and stay tuned for more exciting stories. Bye.